Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for showing us the way in which you would have us go. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer and the grace that you pour out. Lord, when we fall off to one side or the other. Lord, we would ask today that you break your word, small and fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. This morning I would invite you to turn your attention to our reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you've got your Bible along, you can follow there. If you've got the bulletin, or even if you follow along with your phone. As the people of God stand on the edge of the promised land, they've received the Ten Commandments, they have been instructed in the way in which they should go, and yet they still falter in following faithfully. And so God uses Moses to prepare them for entering into the promised land. There is a host of new temptations as they enter. There is the appeal of foreign gods, the attraction of foreign women. There is all kinds of things there to lead them astray. And so Moses speaks to the people today and he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. You see, the line has been drawn and it's fixed, it's unmoved. And it's non-negotiable. We don't get to set the terms of what this arrangement looks like between life or death. You're either hot or cold, the scripture would say. And Moses implores the people of Israel to choose life. But it begs the question, when was the last time you actually thought, I choose death? I would reject life and I would choose death. But in fact, it's a hard reality that we probably make that choice far more often than we'd like to actually admit to. But throughout this chapter, death is used in two senses. There's the present and immediacy of death. As though you can imagine the axe coming down upon the neck and life is flipped out like a light switch. 
it's easy to look and say, well, I don't want that. I don't want that death. But then there is this gradual, somewhat ignorant delay of death. Much like the frog that has been dropped into the kettle full of cold water and becomes more and more comfortable as the water begins to get warm and a little bit more relaxing. And before he knows it, the bubbles began to rise. And it's not because he's in a jacuzzi, but because he's being boiled alive. Israel has been given this same speech multiple times by Moses and again later on by Joshua, by the judges, and by the prophets. In some shape or form, God speaks to His people and says, Please, for the love of God, choose life. Choose life and reject death. And yet we know well that the train continues to go off the rails even though they know where the line has been drawn. Choose life. But see, we know the difference between right and wrong. And broadly, we know the difference between life and death. But yet, the simplicity of the call makes us uncomfortable. We don't like the accountability and the ownership. And perhaps one of the best ways to visualize and imagine this is to consider the Mucinex commercial. Sin dwells deep within us. It finds a home. We don't want it there. It's unnatural to who we are created to be. And like a disease, like a sickness, it still begins to spread throughout our body. And in the Mucinex commercial, you see this giant booger mucusy thing getting all kinds of comfortable, laying out the sofa and the lamp, making a home for himself, thinking that he is invincible and will be there long term. And then Mucinex saves the day. <laughs> and he is expelled forth from the body. unnatural so we need something different 
We need someone to enter in to remove the sickness, expel forth from us the disease, and provide a cure and a confident hope that it will never return once it has been cast forth. That the death that would otherwise consume us because of our brokenness, because of our sin, and because of our shame, no longer has a home within the body of his people. And yet that doesn't mean that the devil stands idly on the outside. He still provokes those seeds of doubt and despair when he comes and he says, you know, you really didn't deserve that award. Or, Man, I can't believe you said that. Or, you know, she's really too good for you. Or whatever it might be, those things that the devil tempts us into thinking are more powerful than the hope that we have in Christ. But see, we know how this story ends. It ends in rebellion. The people of God do not stay faithful. They fall away and follow foreign gods. They are then cast out of the promised land, and they are exiled into foreign territories under foreign leadership. And then they are gathered back together. And while it might begin in rebellion that is as old as time itself, we know that the end is found in redemption. That by death we are given life. That in Christ choosing death on our behalf, He has chosen to give us life. You see, the Apostle Paul writes to his brother in faith, Philemon, and says, I am sending back to you Onesimus, a man who had been your slave, you owned him as a person, and he escaped from you, he disobeyed you as his master, and now I am sending him back to you, not as a slave, but hopefully from one brother in faith to another, as a fellow heir in the kingdom of God. You see, life changes things. And when Moses tells the people, choose life, he does not do so as an imperative or as a command. You must do this. Instead, he does so as an invitation. A very strong invitation, as though we could say, choose life, please, for the love of God, choose life. 
And I would ask, how many times in your own life has someone either said that to you or have you wanted to say that to someone else? For the love of God, make the choice for life. Rather than be the frog in the kettle that sees your life going down a darker path than you can physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally endure, choose life. This is not an individual address. In fact, Moses isn't pulling them off to the side one by one, but he speaks this to the entire body of Israel. He speaks it corporately to the whole of God's people. Because we are bound by life together. We were not created to be alone. We were to be together in the fellowship of one another. Which means that we are accountable to each other and before God. Which means there's no room for gaslighting or politicking or passive-aggressive power trips or scapegoating or whatever it might be that divides and separates God's people. Or allows us to misrepresent who we are in the gospel. Choosing life means that we recognize where the line is drawn against death. I grew up watching old westerns with my dad. And it was always kind of fascinating because there would be these scenes where there'd be this epic chase from the good guys going after the bad guy. And, you know, occasionally they would get to the edge of this cliff, right? And you know how this goes. If it was the bad guys chasing the good guy, the good guy would get away. And he'd make that turn at the last minute before he goes careening over the edge of the cliff. Whereas otherwise, we have so much momentum behind us that we're carried right over the edge. Rather than holding out in the safety of our silos that we create, choosing life demands that all people are afforded the same choice. And not a choice for salvation that has already been made when Christ died on the cross and rose on Easter. But rather the one where we decide whether we will be obedient or rebellious. Life or death. So that by our words and our actions by the witness that we give this day and the days forth, that God would always get the glory now and forevermore. 
Amen.